Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. It was a dominant victory for Max Verstappen and Red Bull in uh, today's Belgian Grand Prix. A 1-2 for the team. Max finishing about two weeks up the road, starting not quite at the back of the grid because there are a lot of penalties to take into account, but a 14th grid spot, technically even starting 13th. And whilst he and fellow championship contender Charles Leclerc did start at the back and both made good progress on lap one after that, Well, their days did diverge. We'll get into that and why it was an amazing day for Red Bull and not a good one for Ferrari and the other winners and losers from today's event. I'm joined by Jess McFadden, Hayden Cobb and Luke Smith, who is fresh back from the track. And Luke, what what was it like getting back into Formula One after the summer break? Really, really good. Thank you, Martin. It was a nice sort of back to school feel in Formula One. I mean, it's lovely in the paddock. You see lots of of, uh, people, lots of of big sort of life events have happened over the past uh, three weeks or so. many of our our colleagues and their Formula One paddock members that's been very very nice to see and uh, yeah it was good to catch up after after a little while so uh, yeah that was all good and then when we finally got into the on-track action obviously I think there was uh, yeah a familiar result at the end of it I think obviously we had to pick up on all the Fernando Alonso, Daniel Ricciardo, Oscar Piastri, so much has happened on the news cycle. But when we finally got on track, it was a very familiar result at the end of it. And Verstappen, I think, delivering probably one of the most dominant displays I can remember in recent F1 history, despite starting so far back. And I think a real death knell maybe for Ferrari's championship hopes if it had not already sounded it does seem that uh, yeah this display is really really put into perspective just how far clear of the pack Red Bull is right now 
Yeah, Ferrari mentioned that Red Bull are really quick in a straight line, uh, but also really quick in the corners, which is doesn't sound great, does it? <laughs> it's sort of win-win, isn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Luke, in terms of your analysis of watching the race in person today, um, where do you think Red Bull uh, have got it so right? Because, you know, clearly technical directive 039 has not hobbled the teams that we all, that some people thought it was, uh, some people even thought it was a conspiracy and aimed at slowing down the quicker teams. But uh, after perhaps some worry a few weeks ago, Red Bull don't need to worry about whatever technical directives have come out because they were brutally fast today. But what in your mind was it that won it for them today? I think it just speaks to how good the RB18 car is as an all-round package. As you said, it was quickest in a straight line and then quickest through the corners as well. So really, there's no upside for Ferrari. The Red Bull RB18's straight line speed, that's been its big asset so far this season where it's really taken a step ahead of the Ferrari. But as Spa, obviously, we know how important that is. It's a 1.2-mile run from uh, when you exit La Source all the way to Le Com, obviously through Eau Rouge, Radion, up the Kemmel Strait. And that is where I think you would expect most of the lap time gain to be made by the Red Bulls. But it was actually through the second sector, through all the sort of twisty bits where Ferrari running their uh, higher downforce package compared to Red Bull this weekend would have been expected to take a step forward and maybe claw back some of that time. But that was actually where Verstappen in qualifying made his biggest gains, which is crazy so it really just points to how good a groove he was in a weekend uh, he did one run in q1 q2 and q3 obviously had the penalty but that was still good enough for pole position and yeah it, it's just hard to see any weaknesses in the package right now uh one of the drivers passed a comment on i'm trying to remember who hang on Charles Leclerc passed a comment on Saturday after qualifying saying that if uh, the RB18 had been designed for any track, it would seem like it's been designed for Spa, which I thought was quite telling. And uh, yeah, Mattia Bonotto, he said after the race that unfortunately Ferrari hasn't got any hope that the uh, it was purely a track-specific thing that was why they were so far behind this weekend. I think it maybe has exaggerated and exacerbated some of the differences between Red Bull and Ferrari. But overall, you just can't get away from the fact that that Red Bull package, it just seems better in every single area than the Ferrari right now and uh, yeah that is very very bad news if your name is Charles Leclerc because the title race just keeps getting bleaker and bleaker and that's before we bring in any sort of like team strategy errors or on-track mistakes or anything as we've seen over the past few races. Jess, Max Verstappen seems to have gone into the settings and turned the AI drivers to easy today because there was no competition. It was almost um, Brazil 2021-esque wasn't it in terms of how easily Hamilton picked through the field last year um, and Max seemingly so this year in Spa and, you know, two very different tracks, two very different situations. But in terms of the ease at which they cut through the pack was was pretty, pretty incredible. Um, it, like, even just that how quickly he made those positions up on, I mean, you know, Spa, is, as everybody listening knows, and as Crofty keeps liking to remind us, longest circuit on the calendar, um, you know, it, it, the gaps can open up and make, if you don't get your passes done early and you don't get the strategy right, then um, you can lose out quite massively. Like I think Verstappen was aiming for podium when we uh, when he was starting out because he thought that the likes of Sainz and Perez, who Perez in equal machinery, uh, you would imagine would be as far up the road as he could possibly get by the time that Max would have been able to fight through the traffic and get within striking distance. So I think he was thinking a podium would be great, thanks. And he showed everybody up, like 
it, 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 I, I think I tweeted after this, like this is Max Verstappen's championship and everybody else is just taking part. Like there's nobody that can bring it to him. Um, he is just on another, on another level. And obviously we know that the likes of Charles Leclerc is an amazing talent, but in order to win championships, you have to have everything go your way in terms of team, package, car, strategy, driver, everything has to sing. And I guess the difference as well is with the case of Red Bull is that their challenger last year was Mercedes that arguably are a stronger competitor than this year's Ferrari. So they've they've had a year of having to be at their absolute optimum, no mistakes, everything at to absolute, tuned to absolute perfection in every sense of that word. And they're showing that that's not stopped. Like they've got it right this year, as we keep saying. I mean, it's starting to get a bit repetitive and boring. And as Luke says, you know, I, I'm, the fear the fear that I have is that we're for the rest of the season we're kind of just going through the motions. Like we're just going to turn up at these races, and we're probably just going to go through the motions from this point on. Which is such a shame in comparison to how competitive last season was. But we knew that there was always a risk of that with the new era of Formula One. Um, but yeah, Max was just in an absolute class of his own. He showed up his teammate yet again. I mean, that that's kind of what he does. And Ferrari were just, again, just seemed to fall fall apart at the seams, both in terms of luck. I mean, I'm sure we're going to go on to the the helmet visor strip that essentially kiboshed Leclerc's entire race. But um, yeah, like Perez didn't have an answer and he started from P2. So it's, it, there's, yeah, <laughs> He's he's on another planet, another universe right now in terms of his his uh, performance in Formula One this year. He finished seventeen point eight four one seconds up the road, not two weeks. I'll correct myself. Max Verstappen, I'll do the, the quick top ten for you, and we come to Hayden. Max Verstappen, followed by Sergio Perez, one two for Red Bull. They'll be delighted. Their number two driver doing exactly why he's on the payroll. Uh, Carlos Sainz in third, followed by George Russell, only a couple of seconds behind, who had some good pace at the end of the race, and then Fernando Alonso in sixth. Was Charles Leclerc with a five second penalty for speeding in the pit lane? Esteban Ocon in seventh, Vessel in eighth, ninth, Pierre Gasly in tenth, Alexander Albon on a point for Williams and a fantastic result for them. Um, Hayden, let's come to you. So, as we get into the second half of the season, or well, we're way past the halfway point, really, in terms of the numbers of races. If I think back to Australia, Charles Leclerc left Australia with. 45 or 46 points lead in the championship. And now we're talking about where will Max wrap it up rather than if Max will wrap it up. How did you uh, watch today's race in terms of a dominant performance? Yeah, I mean, I can only echo what everyone's already said in terms of Max Daffin's race. Uh, at some point, I think it was roughly lap 26, 27. He was that many seconds in the lead. And given he started 13th, 14th grid slot, but 13th cars ahead of him in position... It just sort of astounded. I, I said to to our colleague Jake Foxall Leg just before the race. I said, "What what lap do you think uh, <laughs> he'll be in the lead?" And sort of <laughs> predicting predicting that. And uh, we both overestimated it massively. Let's put it that way. Um, so yeah, it, absolutely dominant. And, and on Leclerc's yeah point, which I'm sure we'll get onto now, is yeah combination of of bad luck with that sort of t- visor tear off and and how that came about. But then, yes, yeah, sort of fighting back, getting through to a solid position. But then Ferrari's strategy call now. Do you want to get onto that immediately? Or 
is that just another moment where of just like, ah, oh, Ferrari finding new and inventive ways to throw away good results? Let's talk about how they're, they're two, I say they're two, I mean Leclerc and Verstappen's races diverge. Because actually they both had really good first laps. Verstappen and Leclerc stayed out of trouble. Uh, the only instant ahead of them was when Lewis Hamilton retired because of coming together with Fernando Alonso trying to go around the outside. We'll come on to that in a second. So they didn't inherit a ton of places because of some sort of chaotic start that wiped out five or six cars. Both had a good first lap. But then we we, we find out that uh, over the summer break, the, the new tactic of the Red Bull drivers, clearly they've been practicing ripping off their visors and, uh, and getting it into the brake ducts of their opposition. Uh, this is the level of detail that Formula One teams will go to for a slight advantage. Luke, can you explain now that an investigation's been done into why Leclerc had some overheating brakes at the beginning and what was found in the brake duct, if you can fill us in, Luke? So yeah, Ferrari obviously had a good look at what they pulled out of Charles Leclerc's front right brake ducts after bringing him into the pits under the safety car. And what they found was Max Verstappen's visor tear-off. And it's, yeah, an incredible twist of luck that of all the drivers to have thrown a tear-off and for the one to land in Leclerc's uh, brake duct, it was Verstappen of all people. Yeah, it was very, um, very weird twist of fate. And uh, we've been back over the onboard swell and it all adds up as they're coming out of, uh, I believe, Stavolo uh, on the long run up towards uh, Blanchimont. Verstappen having gone through all the sort of like gravel and muck being cleared up through all that first lap madness, he tears uh, off uh, a visor strip and a couple of seconds later Leclerc obviously just behind him goes through the same uh, part of the track and you can see something floating into the front right of Leclerc's car so yeah it all adds up that it's Verstappen's tear off just yeah just remarkable how it works and Martin I know he jokes about it but yeah it's quite Mario Kart isn't it when you kind of line up the red shell behind you who you're going to throw it at and of all people Verstappen uh, yeah got it into Leclerc so uh quite crazy Verstappen was asked about it after the race and he, he was like oh I really I hope that wasn't the case obviously because yeah it kind of uh, changed what the race would have been and uh, yeah Leclerc obviously he would have finished I think much higher up he would have had a much more straightforward race I think uh, wouldn't have obviously beaten Verstappen no, no chance at all Red Bull were in a league of their own today but it definitely had a really big impact I think on the race and uh, also actually had a factor late on as well because Ferrari said that the overheating actually uh, caused some of the sensors in the car to fail and they reckon that actually contributed to Leclerc breaking the uh, speed limit in the pit lane on his final pit stop obviously when he came in with what two laps to go so yeah another way it kind of had a role so uh, not only did it cost Leclerc uh, a lot of time in the beginning of the race but it actually cost him five seconds and fifth down to sixth in the final classification as well and he only broke the speed limit by one kilometer per hour or one mile per hour it was it was tiny but it's you know the rule is the rule let's just talk about the first big incident of the race which is the coming together of Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso then they both got a pretty good start and they were both battling on lap one. Afterwards, Lewis held his hand up and said, yeah, absolutely, that was completely my fault. In the heat of the moment, Alonso had a few choice words <laughs> as well. But how did you read that? I read it as the stewards found it to be. It was a lap one racing incident, I think. Yeah, Lewis was very adamant that he was the one to blame. He said he was... Alonso was in his blind spot and he just didn't see him. Um, and unfortunately got absolutely pelted into no man's land um and damaged his floor and that was the end of that was the end of his race and i what shocked me the most was the fact that fernando was 
seemingly unimpeded by that collision in any way, shape or form. The team said that there was no major damage. Um, we've heard that potentially he had a slow puncture that he had to uh, manage for until he came in for his first pit stop. But it didn't impact his, it didn't seemingly impact his pace at all, um, which is which is pretty crazy. I want to know what that Alpine is made of because um, it's some pretty strong stuff. That wasn't, you know, that wasn't, there was no small collision. It it launched Lewis into the air. So um, mm. obviously, you know, it, it, the, 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 the way in which they came together obviously made, meant that, that, that Hamilton received more, more damage. Um, but yeah, that was, that was quite, that was quite an interesting, uh, an interesting coming together. I mean, I think, you know, it was, it was pretty ballsy to the mm. you know the setup going around the outside there when it's such a tight twisty part of the coming off the Kemmel straight it's it's just a bit <laughs> you know ballsy mm. but um yeah i think i think you know it was it was there has there was respect between the two even if you know fernando did get a bit heated i think in that moment in time when you've have just had an amazing start it's the highest that you started for your team or yeah one of the is the highest start? Is that his highest start for Alpine so far? Uh, no, he no. started second. That was right. Canada. Okay, yeah. Okay, but still, you know, they're not used to getting onto the second row, um, mm. so they're going to want to be pulling in as many points as possible. So you can understand frustration, heat at the moment, lots of adrenaline going. The start of the race, you know, is when it's probably adrenaline is at its highest. There's so many other cars around you. You're trying to make up as many positions as you possibly can. Like, I think in a way you can maybe forgive him. Fernando is always a bit on the spicier side. Um, but I did, I, I did think it was good that when the media doing what the media does in terms of poking the bear when Lewis was in the TV pen and asking him, well, did you hear what, did you hear what Fernando said? He said, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't actually care what he said um, because I was at fault. So what he said doesn't matter. I'm sure it wasn't nice, um, but mm. you know, that's fine. I mean, later on he was told uh, exactly what Fernando had said and he's, he's then said, well, I'm, I'm, now I'm not going to go talk to him. But I think, you know, it was, he, he held his hands up and I think again, <laughs> talking about, uh, the way that these things pan out. I, th- I don't know if Fernando would have spoken about him so nicely after the race had he not raised his hands up and said that was my fault. Um, mm. uh, I think, you know, Fernando can, is, is Fernando's biggest fan. So I think, you know, he might have been mm-hmm. a bit different had it uh, had it not gone that way. But yeah, I mean, lap one incident, it was a, it was a real shame because I think... Um, we we could have had a maybe a bit of a more competitive race at the front had we also had um, the likes of Hamilton up there as well um, and you know the Alpines looked absolutely rapid around Spa um, their straight line speed was insane so it would have mm. been you know it would have been better had we not had that incident um, and also you know we do want to keep some of the championship battle even if it is just constructors alive a little bit um and obviously having a a car not finish uh does dampen mercedes charge in that in that uh, respect considering how strong they looked off the back of hungary so yeah i think Mm. one of those one of those things really Let's talk a little bit about Mercedes' pace because we saw uh, at times they had some pace today. We saw Russell make a a pretty decent move, although admittedly with DRS uh, on, it was Leclerc, wasn't it? So we we wouldn't have known, we we should have known really what what Hamilton could have done in that car. But Luke, can I just come back to you on Mercedes' pace? Because I want to talk a little bit about qualifying and your podcast yesterday uh, with, with Matt Q because qualifying pace was awful 
and race pace today wasn't too much to write home about. So what is going on with Mercedes pace? We thought they perhaps might come back really strong after the summer break. I think Mercedes thought the same thing, to be honest with you. I think they've, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. look, they're, they're still trying to get to the bottom of the W13 and, and the issues with it. And as much as Hungary did seem like such a big breakthrough, one of the big weaknesses for the car this year has been tyre warm-up. And when you have a track like Spa, which it's Spa, we know the weather. It's going to be a bit sort of like misly and a bit drizzly and a bit grey and a bit cold. And that for qualifying was a bit of a perfect storm really for Mercedes to struggle as much as they did. And I think we've seen throughout the season that typically they've been better on a Sunday than a Saturday. I think we saw that again today. I don't think they were as far adrift as, as perhaps they, they anticipated. But uh, yeah, they were still not really in in anywhere sort of anywhere where Mercedes should be or, or wants to be right now. So I think that they've still got a lot of work to do with this car to properly understand it. But as you said uh, uh, earlier, we're like we're way past the halfway point of the season now. We're I think we'll be two thirds through um, after this uh, yeah next weekend in Zambor. So it's um, yeah it. You're kind of thinking now they just they just have to get through it and say, right, what can we learn that will help next year's car? But otherwise, what are we going to do when we have a blank sheet of paper and we can look at the, the W14? And Lewis Hamilton said after qualifying, you just kind of have to laugh off the struggles now. He said that there's loads of people back at the factory working so hard, so he doesn't want to say, oh, I'm super disappointed or anything like that because, uh, yeah, that'll bring them down. So um, I think they'll take the positives they can, but it just, again, this so it's such a weird picture we have of Mercedes right now that you go from Hungary where you're on pole I think there's a case that George Russell could have won that race maybe had things played out a little bit differently but they got a double podium pretty competitive and then they come to Spa and then they're just nowhere again compared to to, to Red Bull in particular so uh, yeah the clouded pitch just continues and it'll be again wouldn't surprise me if we then go to Zandvoort uh, next weekend and all of a sudden they're really competitive again just because of how up and down this picture has been throughout the season yeah and it must be strange working uh, you know Mercedes-Benz after such a long period of domination I was at Silverstone Classic this weekend and as you the way that I go into Silverstone on the A43 and you turn right at the big roundabout and you, you pass Mercedes headquarters I couldn't help but think I wonder what morale is like I wonder what it's like inside a team that's had such a long period of dominance and yet it's not like they know the problem with their car it's that they can't get their head around this car and we're very quickly heading towards 2023 and i guess you could say the same about ferrari as well an amazing start to the season and today carlos Sainz, the best that they could do for ferrari hayden uh, was coming home in third and at the beginning of the race they were talking at red bull were talking about you know it should be a podium for max verstappen but ferrari just had nothing in response today, Hayden. How did you read Ferrari's race, their pace, and anything that you've read afterwards as well? Yeah, I think you got a bit spot, spot on there in terms of, for example, obviously Carlos Sainz getting away at the, the start, keeping the lead. Good opening sort of stint on a few laps, obviously, before the safety car came out. Did, didn't really put a wheel wrong, you would say. And even on his strategy, it was normal, which I think is nice. Um, and they didn't do anything sort of too, too wild or out of the box. But just purely just to, did not have the pace of, of the Red Bulls, which is, again, a, a story we have heard quite a few times this, this season on being track dependent. And yeah, it, it's it's one of those where, much like Mercedes, perhaps their car in certain situations just isn't sort of at this world beater uh, level mm. that you can see from, from Red Bull. And then obviously the Red Bull, I mean, in, in the hands of Max Schnappen, 
Um, but yeah, Carlos Sainz is finishing the race sort of 26 seconds behind behind the winner, nine seconds behind Perez. So yeah, you, I think if you ask sort of Carlos Sainz deep down, what did he think was going to happen in this race? I think that was probably it. Like he he, yeah. he pretty much said like he expected Verstappen year to come through, and obviously Russell predicted that Verstappen would win, and he was right. I think I think everyone really knew. Um, and so him picking up a third place, he probably looks at it tonight and goes, "Yeah, that was that was all I could. That's all she could do. That's all I could do." So, yeah, yeah. it's it's a funny one, really. Um, but as you say, it's, it's, it's disappointing. Maybe they will sort of find a few things here and there, but they just don't have enough, and there's not enough time now anymore. They've got literally a few days until uh, the next race. It's a triple header, um, and then we move straight on to Monza, where again, straight line speed is, is going to be all all key and uh yeah it's in a straight fight with rebel it's just not it's not going their way um so what what do you think it's doing to the drivers because look carlos Sainz today finishing as you say 26 27 seconds off of max verstappen and being caught by george russell only just over two seconds behind him at the end and then Charles Leclerc finishing six with a five-second penalty for speeding in in the pit lane. But what do you think about the drivers and what how they're feeling at the yeah I, th- I think you could probably split it in terms of the, the, the pressure and probably expectation isn't necessarily or hasn't ever been on Carlos Sainz. And uh, yeah, I think given the mistakes that he made very early in the season, sort of those spins in, in Melbourne and, and uh, Spain, uh, it sort of, yeah, his he was always on the back foot and therefore didn't have that sense of I'm fighting for a title. He, he almost probably knew that he was, if they were in a title fighting position, he'd be playing the Sergio Perez role to to Max Verstappen at Red Bull. Whereas, yeah, Charles Leclerc, almost the opposite of that, is the car was certainly at the start of the year having those that fight, that fight and that title fight potential in it. And he made, yeah, as well as the team, of course, quite a few critical mistakes, no more so than uh, crashing out of the lead in, in France. Now, obviously, the car has let go in a few other occasions, races before that, and that's where we all know and it's been well documented that he's dropped... Uh, a hat full of points but um, yeah he, he said over the, the summer break he sort of tried to have a mental reset I, d- I don't think this race will do much to that granted again with the situation that played out in front of him he, he can't well apart from the pit lane issue he can't really sort of fault himself on that but it's just the reality of where they're at the moment and, and I think unfortunately perhaps give it the next two races but they may just accept that yeah the, the title fight is over for this year and already start to think for for next year because Leclerc himself said I was asked about how does he see his sort of title fight or title picture from here on out and he just called it very difficult now I don't think it needs to go too much further to go very difficult to impossible so yeah it's it will play on their minds and I, and I think this will feel like a missed opportunity particularly with the margin of difference between Verstappen and the rest of the drivers, or, or Rebel and, and Ferrari. But I think maybe just put this down to a learning year and uh, <laughs> come back stronger next year, which is a bit depressing to say when it's not even September. But here we are. Yeah, but we are at the, the beginning of a new rule set. And who, whoever gets ahead, as we've seen for the last year's domination with Mercedes. Luke, can you fill us in on some of the technical changes that are happening at the beginning of next year and the rule stability going forward? With Red Bull have got a lead now, it becomes enormously difficult to not only catch up, but then surpass a team in that development race. It really does. Yeah, I think we have to not treat every rule set like we did 
going from 21 to 22 because this was such a huge revolution for Formula 1 in terms of the technical rulebook and how teams would design their cars and everything like that and from now on it is going to be an evolution and Mattia Bonotto was asked about after the race saying look when when do you guys say look let's, we're not going to win the championship but let's put everything into next year and he said well everything you do with this car you're learning and actually the weakness is if you fix issues on the car this year he picked out tyre deg for example this weekend at Spa he said if we learn what, okay, what caused that tyre deg at Spa what made it so bad that will still help for next year so there isn't actually the same kind of value in going actually look let's just forget this year write it off put everything on to next season but where you can make yeah. a big gain is on uh, the budget cap because obviously that is again such a huge thing every team is under that now every team has to work towards it so you can maybe say right let's put a little bit more resources maybe more money into next year's car so it's a, it is a bit of a balance to strike in terms of outright te- uh, technical changes uh, i mean the biggest thing obviously was in the news over the summer break is uh, the raising of the floor edges. That's uh, a compromise of uh, 15 millimetres. That's been done on safety grounds to try and limit porpoising. Been less of an issue in recent times, of course, but the FIA said it wanted to act because it didn't want a, an, an NFL or rugby situation where you have... Uh, drivers in years down the line reporting um, sort of uh, head injuries or illnesses or things like that that you could uh, attribute to that sort of uh, porpoising effect and being shaken up and down so um, yeah it's a it's a big change and it's something they're gonna have to adapt to but I say big again I think against the context of there not being many other changes to be honest so it's uh yeah it's definitely i think something they have to weigh up a little bit in terms of when you make that crossover but it's nothing like it was last year so um yeah i think there is maybe the not worry but it's something to think about that if red bull have already got a good march under these regs how much is that going to be baked in a bit like mercedes when we saw the v6 hybrid engines came in 2014 it was quite clear well that's going to be that for a little while then and that's how it proved to be i think Ferrari and Mercedes will obviously do a lot to get back in the fight. I think that Mercedes in particular, they can look at different car concepts and things like that for next year. They've said that next year's car is not going to look anything like this year's one in terms of, I think, what they do. So we may see them go down maybe a bit of a Red Bull style kind of uh, design path. But I think if you're Red Bull, and I think you have to give them a lot of credit because they came through one of the most intense title fights we've seen in F1 history last year, defeated Mercedes and still produced a car that is the class of the field this season. So uh, they've done a really good job. And yeah, it could well be that we may be at this rate. Are we into a sort of Verstappen Red Bull era, as we've seen with Hamilton and Mercedes or Vettel and Red Bull before that? Well, that is ominous to think yeah, sorry, about. Sorry well. if anyone had any uh, no. for the next five years, but um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I do sort of share that. It does, at least right here, right now, feel like that is, yeah, I mean, he he put in a phenomenal drive and he has been driving incredibly well and and he's in by far the best car so you know that combination is is fairly yeah fairly daunting for the rest of them so let's play a game of uh, <laughs> f1 manager and jess uh, let's uh, let's put you on the pit wall and you are leading the ferrari team uh, you are either you are mattia bonotto in which case i got some great glasses or or Matthias been fired and you are in charge. Uh, you can pick whichever one you want. Like, th- that's the thing that uh, that surprises me about 
how competitive, like fiercely competitive teams are. Uh, that Toto Wolf and Christian Horner, you know that they will go in to battle, to fight. Sometimes they'll speak, you know, spout nonsense on, on Sky Sports, but just to defend their team. Ferrari, from a country that is full of passion, uh, I'm not falling back on lazy cultural stereotypes, Italians are full of passion. Ferrari just seems so dispassionate about things like there's mistakes there's bad results and they're like nah it's okay don't worry we'll talk we'll look at the data just you know let's let's make you the boss of ferrari what how do we fix this that's a big question martin um well it just it feels like when you look at teams like mercedes and like red bull um and luke and i talk about this a lot because there is um uh there's a book that uh toto wolf brought in that's to do with it's called um is it called legacy luke is that what it's called legacy yes and it's an amazing book about leadership and how top performing sports teams what it is about them that makes them so amazing and the core the core principle is vision and vision setting creates this element of togetherness and this element of togetherness almost flows through every single member of the team so that there's almost like this silent communication. Everybody knows where they stand. Everybody knows what they need to do. Everybody knows what their contribution to the team is. And it creates this almost superpower. So it's based on like the All Blacks rugby team and why they were so dominant. Um, and a lot of it has to do with Maori culture of togetherness. And, and um, it's a really interesting read. If you've never read it, I would I would wildly recommend it. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating book about techniques and, 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 and top tier performance. But so when you look at teams like Mercedes and Red Bull, you have this just innate sense of togetherness innate sense of we are all in this together we have clear vision we have clear direction we have clear strategy and obviously I've I've don't I've not been inside the inner sanctum of Marinello um I don't know what the inner talkings are but every it does seem like even today and with the choice radio messages that we got played out to us over the world feed there just seems to be this sense of no one knowing what's going on no one being clear no one being on the same page um and there just being this like real sense of despondency which you're not gonna be able to come back from that you know even even though Mercedes have been knocked off their pedestal you still get that same sense that everybody is team Mercedes everybody is fighting for everything Mm. and and almost their failure together is bringing them closer together it's that sense that I feel they're missing they're missing clear leadership direction vision the cohesion that a team operating at this level needs to have if it wants to win championships Maybe they need to get a performance coach going in and teaching them all about legacy. Maybe Toto Wolf needs to learn Matia his book. Um, <laughs> just yeah, as he will. Maybe but, just, you know. Yeah, I need a Formula One team principal book club. I would attend. That would be great. But yeah, I think I think that's kind of what is missing. And there's obviously been a lot of questions about Bonotto, whether he, and that, but that's been following him ever since he took the job as to whether he actually is a solid team leader. Um, or actually, if he's he, he's better being more of a technical director, which was was where he kind of was before he took on the team principal role. And obviously, things were put in place at Ferrari over the years in terms of taking the technical stuff away from him because he was still involved in it, so that he could focus on the management side. But yeah, 
no, a team is only as good as its leader. And at this point in time, there are still those question marks there. And I know, I mean, what else is, what else is Bonotto going to come out and say after that? Like, what is he going to say? I don't, I don't want to come across like all team principals, you know, CEOs, whatever role they play in it, need to be some sort of desk-thumping Neanderthal that just shouts. And I'm not suggesting that. But, you know, you look at when Sergio Perez got a terrible virtual safety car restart. And let's face it, he did mess that up. And George Russell got the jump on him and he lost a place. And after the race, Christian Horner's like, I don't know, maybe Mercedes are getting different FIA radio messages. Like, that's so preposterous. (laughs) But that's the length that he'll go to, to, you know, sort of divert the attention away from our driver messed up with something as crazy as, hang on a minute, are we getting different information? Like, of course that's not true. But that's why Christian's so brilliant at that kind of sort of media game that, that, that he plays. And the same with Toto Wolf as well, always defending his. And there just seems to be with 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 Ferrari this, you know, like yesterday they put, they put the wrong tyres on in qualifying, yeah. and then they're like, oh yeah, on the radio, like oh yeah, sorry about that, yeah, no, we got that, we got that wrong, sorry. It's just not good oh, enough, is it? I mean, if if, if, if anything, fire, you, know, you know, Ferrari do not deserve to win anything this year. They do not deserve to win anything. They've been sloppy. They've made too many mistakes. It's you know, regardless of how much we want a competitive season fact is they don't deserve it so it's it's harsh I don't I don't want to be sat here saying this but you cannot win I mean I would stop watching Formula One if if a sloppy team like that could win a championship because it's just not it's not why we watch Formula One right this is the pinnacle of motorsport maybe I've come off the wrong side of the bed after watching the race or something but it's just I'm just tired of it now I'm sure everybody is I'm sure Ferrari are tired of it I'm sure you know as much as I'm sure Red Bull are loving the fact that they're cruising to um, their you know two two titles, not just the drivers' title, but easily the constructors' title too, it's it's going to be like yeah, they, they, we do want competition, a little bit of competition. It's why it's why we go out and race, right? People don't just go yeah. go out there to you know <laughs> have a lovely Sunday drive. We're they're competitors, so. Yeah, I think it's just, it is it, it is sad. I, I really, I had such high hopes for Ferrari. They did come out with a, an, an incredible car considering um, where they had been over the past few couple of years. And it's just, yeah, it, it, some, something, something has to give. And when, I'm not suggesting that that is Bonotto out. I'm not suggesting that that is you know, massive shakeups, but something, something has to change. There is, there is, there are clearly gaps and, and things that aren't quite right there and they're going to have to get on top of them in one, in one way or another. And there will be pressure at Ferrari and you've got the, the national, you've got the press, uh, you've got Gazetta della Sport and, and there will be huge uh, media pressure and, and fan pressure on Ferrari as well. Um, Luke, just fill us in with what happened with the attempt at the fastest lap. Can you explain that uh, to the listeners? <laughs> Oh yeah. So uh, with um, yeah, two laps to go. Ferrari uh, said, "Sharp, we're going to bring you in. We're going to give you a set of softs, and let's go for the fastest lap." There was a bit of back and forth on the radio. Leclerc saying, "Are you sure you want to do this?" And yeah, again, that uncertainty, as Jess sort of spoke about, like it, it is, it doesn't seem clear. And in the end, they went for it. Leclerc came out of the pits. He was, uh, they always knew it was going to be quite tight with Alonso. He came out and managed to get past Alonso, but then along the Kemmel straight, Alonso, because the Alpine straight line pace has been so good all weekend, he got Leclerc back. And that compromised Leclerc for the rest of the lap and for the start of the uh, the final lap. In the end, Leclerc did 
repass Alonso, so he got back to fifth, which is where he'd started. Then on the following lap, Leclerc did manage to repass Alonso, so he got back to fifth, which is where he'd been before he came into the pits. But his fastest lap attempt didn't come off. It was a 1.49.9. Uh, Verstappen had the fastest lap with a 1.49.3, so basically it had been a bit of a, a wasted opportunity by Ferrari. And also, he ended up getting the five-second penalty for speeding when he came into the pits. So it dropped into six. So it was a net loss of a place and what, two points for Ferrari. So it did look like it all really backfired. Uh, Leclerc said afterwards that he wasn't frustrated about Ferrari bringing him in or anything like that. Same thing he said. I asked him the same question two days in a row saying, is it getting frustrating having these little (laughs) sort of tyre slip-ups and mistakes coming? And he was like, no, no, it's fine. And just thinking how much is of that frustration is just like a brave face. Like how much is it bubbling under the surface? I asked Matia Bonotto about it and I said like, again, it just seems that it's just a bit confusing. Like fans are sort of saying like, you've got plans A to D and all of this and you're asking Charles what do you want the mediums the hards and he's like well why are we pitting and it's well if we do this and do that Um, but also said something he said a a few weeks ago that he thinks it is perceived in a wrong way from the outside that actually things that are being played up as mistakes are not mistakes that it's the right call and he said that the decision to go for the fastest lap was entirely the right call he said we had to be brave like we have to be bold in Formula One and roll the dice and I, I get that but also it was all to gain one point. Like, I know, okay, you want to maximise your potential, but it was always going to be so tight with Alonso. There was always that risk that it wouldn't come off. If Charles was 40 seconds ahead of the car in front, fine, because you're not going to lose a position and really you can't lose anything. But he wasn't. So I I really don't understand why they did it. And again, there just isn't the sort of like oh yeah we're gonna have to go away and look at this because clearly it didn't work out it's oh no like we we definitely made the right call but it was all very unlucky and and not our fault basically uh yeah I just think that it was another another little mistake and all of these things are adding up and you just I, I agree with Jess like Ferrari don't deserve to win a championship like this because it just seems so unclear we don't hear Mercedes or Red Bull over the radio in a similar way with their drivers it's all very direct and said look box this lap or this is happening or that's happening and with Ferrari there just seems to be almost every race now something happens goes wrong and becomes a talking point for us I think on genuine pace and on merit Ferrari have won one race this year let's start with so Leclerc won in Bahrain obviously both rebels went yeah. pop uh, Australia uh, Leclerc won Verstappen's engine went pop uh, signs won in at Silverstone, but Verstappen picked up damage, dropped down the order. It was generally an amazing race, but there was so much going on that really, and the, uh, Joe at the start, bit of a bit of a crazy race. Signs ends up on top. Austria, Austria is probably the, the genuine one because Leclerc won, overtook Verstappen what two, three times, fair and square. But that circuit is almost a little bit of an outlier, and the, yeah, they they managed not to make any strategy mistakes but at that same race signs his engine went pop so like there's there's arguably been one race where it has gone all to plan and yet they only finished with one car just not good enough really and i think you've got yeah hit the, the nail on the head there in terms of the the culture and the messaging like if leclerc's saying one thing in the media to sort of keep face but then is actually feeling another thing saying oh, i'm not frustrated or i'm not sort of disappointed or whatever then he needs to sort of be making that point clear because Let's compare it to Verstappen when it wasn't going right at Red Bull. Even this season, when he had no, when his engine was playing up in Hungary qualifying, as recently as then, he was going absolutely mental. And you know that the team would have been like, we can't keep making these mistakes. Hamilton 
obviously he's trying to generally keep a positive spin on it, but he has clearly been at the team and at the car. He he, he hates this car, I think, as you could safely say. <laughs> and and yeah, you look at Ferrari as well, and it's like if Leclerc's going to be this lead driver, he needs to have that ruthlessness about him as well. Whether it comes from Leclerc, whether it comes from Bonotto, it doesn't necessarily matter. It just needs to, to come from within and just say, right, sort sort just sort it out just sort out the reliability sort out those strategy calls make it clear here's the plan here's the ethos and go from there because otherwise they'll they'll have a half decent car and they'll have a half decent driver lineup and have a half decent engine but they'll always play second Mm. fiddle to a red bull or a mercedes or whoever that are putting the pieces together and winning these championships and the thing with the with the stop for fastest lap today it's not like taking one point away from Red Bull is going to make any difference. Why did you throw away two points just to take a point away from them, which you then ended up not taking away and losing yourself two points? It was just that, like, what, with Bonotto going, yes, but we have to take ballsy calls. For what? What? Like, you're also meant to be very good, like, you know, risk balancers. You're meant, you're meant to go and say, yes, that is worth the risk. Please, someone tell me where that was worth the risk. I, I genuinely don't know. Unless there was a real issue that Leclerc's tyres were going to fall off a cliff, which we, we saw, like, we only got thermal deg today. So it's like, what, what, uh, what why? <laughs> and yeah. and, and mm. at what point was that going to be the right call? What should have come in, and this may have happened, but I can't say without hearing the ready message, is setting... So four or five laps towards the end, they know they're not going to catch those ahead of them and they know the gap to Alonso. Tell Leclerc, right, I'm going to pit you probably in a few laps, hit this delta time so we have a pit stop in hand to Alonso. Don't even put that element of risk in. If he gets there, great, then you can do it. The only thing that probably goes wrong then is if they mess up the pit stop, which they have done recently. So, you know, it's not a foolproof plan. But it didn't seem like that came came into plan. It seemed like, oh, it's a bit of a risk, but we'll go for it. And it's like... (laughs) It, no, you, you had you had so much time to to think about it and to put it in place, but yeah, it, it didn't work. But um, talking about all plans, I I know we're absolutely piling on Ferrari now, which is harsh. But I did to, to lighten the mood. I did really enjoy uh, Norris being told about this. Too, it's too late for Plan G. Plan G. Yeah, which like Ferrari yeah, have got all those though. plans, but like not like McLaren I, have got Plan G, and I really want to know what that is. So please, McLaren, I, tell me what I Plan almost, G is. I almost messaged. Lando's engineer and asked if he was trolling Ferrari or if that was an actual <laughs> like was that legit were you legit on plan G I know Ferrari are a bit of a meme about having plan A to Z but it's like I'm, sh- I'm sure a lot of them they do have to have different scenario planned out that I mean how else do you tell your driver right because obviously you don't want to tell your competitors what you're doing over the radio to the driver so you are you do need clear indicators to say we're going to double stop or we're going to, um, you know, run long, extend the stint and come in later. So I do get it, but it was, it is very, very rare that we hear any other team go pla- past plan B. So <laughs> it was, it was funny. I'll try and find out, uh, I'll try and find out what plan G was. Let's talk about Alpine a bit because uh, on Friday's podcast, I, uh, we also played a game of uh, let's put you in charge. I did that with Hayden. Uh, I said, right, you're, you're CEO of Alpine. Does someone lose their job over uh, losing it seems not one but two great drivers over the course of a uh, of a few days and also you sat on the fence I, I and you did I you feel bad it. for sitting on the fence if someone's being fired yeah. in the morning but a great race 
today uh, for Alpine. A fantastic result, some brilliant racing uh, as well. We saw with Fernando Alonso somehow surviving that massive uh, collision with with Alonso, his front left, and um, Hamilton, sorry, Alonso's uh, front left, Hamilton's uh, rear right, but hey, they build them, build them strong, as Jess says. Uh, Alonso coming home fifth because of that five-second penalty for Leclerc, getting promoted a place, um, which is great for Alpine. Uh, and also Ocon, who we saw some, not one, but two double overtakes and another great uh, great race for him coming home seventh today who will be driving for them next year well we still don't know uh, where it'll shake out by the way jack Dewan took his third victory of the season at uh, spa in f2 yeah, Al- just alpine were like uh, alpine were like oscar who it could mean nothing <laughs> oscar who it could it could it could mean nothing anyway so luke what did you make of uh, of alpine today and some great racing by ocon as well oh esteban ocon what a man i i literally that overtake on uh, the double overtake on Gasly and Vettel. It was like Hakkinen and, and Schumacher in what 2001 with the uh, Ricardo Zonta sat in the middle, and uh, literally Ocon came over in the media pen. And the first thing I said to him was, "Have you been watching any Mika Hakkinen videos recently?" And he laughed and he said, "I actually spoke to Mika before the race, and obviously not about that move or anything, but uh, yeah, he said it was uh, it was just one of those things where he the straight line speed of the Alpine was so good all weekend, and he said he also." really really worked out well how to um, get all the right detection points and everything like that for for DRS so with with that move in particular basically he worked out the Vettel was going too early and that meant that he wasn't uh, picking up the DRS on on Gasly he was going for the overtake um, uh, too early so in the end Ocon was like right I'm going to sort of ease off a little bit give myself a bit more of a slingshot lined up that move perfectly and got both of them and he said that Vettel could have maybe squeezed me a bit more Uh, Vettel said that he felt like he had no weapons in that fight because he was without DRS and yeah Ocon just slung it around both of them and it was such a great move and uh, yeah a really great display by him he said after the race that he feels that's the best race he's had with Alpine full stop and this is a man who's won a Grand Prix with Alpine and it was a really really great performance from them so yeah I thought Ocon drove absolutely superbly to come through the field as he did you got to wonder what they could have done had uh, both of them started up at the up at the, the top end and yeah for Alonso I, I again I think given the clash with Hamilton he's come away with a really good haul of points and really I don't think he could have done anything more than fifth had it not been for the clash with um, with Hamilton I think he would have fallen back naturally to that kind of position anyway so uh, yeah I think Alpine could be really pleased with this weekend I think that they were always going to go strongly but in the context of this fight with McLaren it's a big step forward they've taken McLaren have always said we don't really know how we're still in the fight with Alpine because we're we're sort of um, yeah struggling to keep up ground it's it's maybe some sort of uh, good weekends of mass some of the issues with our car but I think we're now starting to see just how much stronger Alpine is than McLaren this year and also on the driver front Alpine have two regular scoring drivers which in McLaren's case they they don't really with the greatest respect to Daniel Ricciardo a really difficult day for McLaren as well they just had no straight line speed whatsoever so yeah neither Norris nor Ricardo stood much for chance but even for Daniel started seventh a long way ahead of Lando and then ends up behind him so not a great day for them uh but yeah for Alpine I think they've done a really good job this weekend and yeah Esteban Ocon uh, I, I'm not in charge of driver ratings but if I was I would be uh, giving him a 10 out of 10 I hope Matt Q can hear me in the, the room <laughs> next door but uh, yes great result for him 10 out of 10 drive. Lando Norris, as you mentioned, in 12th for McLaren. Daniel Ricciardo in 15th. 
And in terms of Alpine, Luke, we won't hold you to it, uh, but just for fun, who could be driving alongside Ocon next year? Because obviously the contract recognition board meet next week. Tomorrow. They meet tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, so as our our listeners are tuning tuning into this. Um, But the thing is, you know, if if Piastri's already gone so nuclear on social and be like, I'm not driving for them. Like, you can force a driver, I suppose, to have financial compensation. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. That relationship, I think, is, is, is dead and buried. I think that Alpine, if they do go and win this CRB case... I think it's purely so they can say to McLaren, right, you're going to pay us if you really want Oscar that badly. Because I think that, yeah, it's it's not it's not going to be a happy relationship if Alpine were to say to Oscar, but no, you've got a contract, you will race for us next year. So I think that, uh, yeah, and we do know that Alpine are looking at uh, other options. Um, our colleague at motorsport.com, Adam Cooper, did a, a superb piece on Saturday uh, breaking that Pierre Gasly is actually an option for Alpine. And we know that Gasly has a contract with AlphaTauri and the team's already announced him for next year but contracts in Formula 1 they're only worth the paper they're written on at times and this could be another case of that and it's, it's a situation where yeah Alpine might say right we've yeah maybe they get some let's theoretically say they win the CRB case get a bit of money back from um, McLaren for Piastri they can then take that money to Red Bull and say right we want Gasly basically free him from his contract, bring him into our team. One interesting dynamic there, it's known that Gasly and Ocon don't get on brilliantly personally, haven't in the past. There's been a bit of friction and tension there. Uh, but Ocon was asked about that on Saturday and he said, we we respect each other, like no issues. So it sounds like professionally things would, would be okay, but we'll see obviously and, how things go. Until they became teammates in reality. again. Well, yes, yes. Uh, Ocon, of course, has a, a bit of a bit of a history in terms of sort of uh, teammate tensions as well through his F1 career. But uh, yeah, so that could be really interesting. And what that would do for AlphaTauri as well is that it may pave the way for Colson Herter, the IndyCar driver, to perhaps come into Formula One. Uh, it seems like Rebel Advisor Helmut Marko has been sort of, yeah, keeping an eye on what Herter's doing and perhaps wants to bring him in uh, to make that F1 switch. It's been mooted for a long time. The plan was always for Andretti to, to field Herter if it got its Formula One team entry. That doesn't look like it's going to happen. So this might be an option for Herter. So, yeah, lots of good driver movement going on. I think it's going to be an interesting few weeks. But, yeah, the CRB case, they are meeting on Monday. So, as you said, Martin, might be today by the time listeners are, are tuning into this. And, uh, yeah, we expect a decision. It could be It could come later today. It could come in a couple of days' time. But it will be this week. And uh, the idea of two French drivers uh, racing for Alpine would be interesting, channeling their inner Ligier, who for a long time only featured French drivers like Lafitte and, uh, and René Arnoux and, uh, and others as well. It took them a, a while to find the, uh, the courage to have a non-French driver. So it'd be very interesting to see a completely French team on the, on the grid if Gasly did make his, his way over. Where should we go next? Let's talk a bit about Aston Martin. We've mentioned Fernando Alonso, his new employers, with Sebastian Vettel finishing eighth, giving a little love nudge to teammate Lance Stroll at one point and got, <laughs> off you go, son, you're not coming past me, into uh, at least... Uh, heading towards the gravel. And Lance Stroll coming home just out of the points in 11th. Any thoughts on Vettel's race today from anyone in particular? Uh, yeah, for Vettel, 
a good a good haul of points by Aston Martin standards. It wasn't one of these races where he kind of just sneaks into the top ten and and grabs one point. It was uh, yeah, it was a good start. Obviously, started well up the order thanks to all the penalties. A very close moment between him and Stroll on the opening lap that I think left Stroll doing a little bit of uh, rally cross uh, over the gravel. But uh, yeah, I think that Aston Martin, given where that team is right now, to come away with eighth, I think that's a, that's a, a really good performance for for him and the team. He said that yeah, in that fight against Ocon, absolutely nothing he could do so bit of a sitting duck Aston Martin know where they are I think they know that it's really a case of just look get to the end of the season can we keep within sight of Haas are we I mean they're, they're going to beat Williams let's face it with all due respect to Williams who had a very good race today through Alex Albon as I'm sure we'll get on to but uh, yeah I think Vettel yeah nice to see him up in the sort of uh, top top five or six for a little while uh, rolling back the years a little bit earlier today and Jess a great race for Pierre Gasly today we've mentioned to him just uh, just a moment ago but starting from the pit lane I think you heard that Yuki Sonoda was going to start from the pit lane and he didn't want to get left out there by the way uh, check out some of the social videos and the podcast and stuff that um, uh, the Alpha Alpha Tauri are doing because there's a big bromance going on there they get on so well it's so nice to see Um, but yeah uh, Jess Gasly did really well today especially well I think he was pretty surprised at how well he got on more positive for him I don't really have too much to Mm. say about Gasly so but I don't want it to be all on, I don't want it to be all on uh, Luke. No, it's all good. And, and a point for and a point for Alex Albon then, Jess. If you want to talk about a little uh, about his race today, they were so like the team are always so happy if they can get into the points, and he was so delighted as well, and really holding off a train of cars behind him. A great defensive drive towards the end of the race. There, there was some stuff happening at the back of the grid or the midfield that we didn't see a lot of, but a really great drive by him. Very strong performance from from Alex. We, we've got quite a few people during this race that we're we're praising, which is good. I mean, I guess that also does help when you have a, a field that's a bit mixed up and you've got cars out of position but um, the Williams did look pretty racy in a straight line Um, and so I think even Alex himself came out and said thank God for DRS trains because it did mean that he could keep um, uh, the cars behind him at bay and and kind of fend off any attack from behind but yeah I mean Williams are going to be over the moon at that I mean the, the way that they do celebrate points is pretty wholesome but I guess when you're a team that has gone through so many seasons of of not taking home any or just one um it's it's a it's a massive massive step forward for them and I think just looking at them their pace it actually looked rather promising so obviously um Zanvoort next week is a bit of a different track so whether or not we see (laughs) I'm not I'm not gonna for a second say that we're going to uh, go okay well Williams are going to get another point next weekend obviously that's probably not going to happen uh well, you know could do but uh never say never as uh, as Hayden was kind of alluding to earlier but um yeah I think I think Williams can be happy with at least one side of the garage um Latifi again a little bit more disappointing. I mean, the incident that we had... Oh, massively disappointing. Yeah, and the, and the incident that we had was a really weird one. It seemed that... Um, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't any contact, but it seemed that when uh, Ocon and Latifi were kind of having a, a bit of a battle at the beginning of the race, it seemed um, that I think Latifi got a little bit distracted by um, Ocon and just put a tire onto the onto the grass and just it sent him spinning and then unfortunately poor Valtteri Bottas was the victim happy birthday happy birthday happy indeed birthday, um, Bottas. but yeah did he get clipped by Latifi or was it no. Valtteri reckons he did a little bit oh a little bit a I mean it, 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 was, it, it did, it it did a, look yeah. like more, most of the damage was done okay. by trying to avoid 
the car, but yeah, I mean, oh, definitely, yeah, and that's what Valtteri said. He said it was either I hit Latifi or I go into the gravel. So obviously that's the lesser of uh, two evils there. But yeah, disappointing birthday. But we we said uh, said, well, we hope your birthday gets better. As he left, he went, ah, oh, the day is still young. So I hope he's uh, sinking a few beers this evening. Absolutely. But yeah, well done, Williams. Uh, a point in Australia, a couple of points in Miami and a point here uh, again. So yeah, still only four points and still, you know, even a fair way behind everybody else. But great that they're, uh, that they're on the board. Who haven't we talked about who is worthy of talking too much about? Some interesting uh, performances, but yeah, the two hash drivers coming home 16th, 17th with Kevin Magnussen 16th and uh, Mick Schumacher 17th. And I'll do a quick look at the championships, the Drivers' Championship. Max Verstappen, 284 points, taking all 26 points today. Sergio Perez in second, a 1-2 Red Bull, 191. Charles Leclerc down in third, 186, followed by Carlos Sainz. And then George Russell, uh, now a decent gap ahead of Lewis Hamilton on 170, down to Lewis's 146. In the Constructors' Red Bull, uh, just a big, big gap now. 475 plays for our three five seven and mercedes-benz even after a, a disappointing day in fact toto said the worst qualifying in 10 years or words to that effect yesterday a disappointing weekend for them uh, because of some consistency earlier in the season uh comfortably comfortably in third place right we have gone long and i appreciate your time uh, back 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 in formula one it's great to have uh, a race to talk about uh, thank you very much for listening to the podcast that i have your say you can always email us podcast at autosport.com uh, with any thoughts on the things that we talk about you can follow these guys on their uh, social media as well and make sure you are staying tuned to the uh, Autosport podcast because we've got our coverage of the Silverstone or the Classic at Silverstone over the next couple of days as I will be talking Porsche 956-962s in a great depth. Uh, if that's your bag, then listen out for that. And if not, then we'll see you for another Grand Prix in just a few days' time. Thanks for listening to the Autosport podcast. We'll be back soon. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you served in the Vietnam, Gulf War, or post-9-11 eras, you may be eligible for expanded VA benefits. A new law known as the PACT Act provides disability compensation, health care, free toxic exposure screenings, and more to veterans who are exposed to toxins during their military service. You can submit a claim for your PACT Act-related benefits now. Claims received by August 10, 2023 may be paid back to August 10, 2022. Visit va.gov PACT to learn more and file your claim. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.